What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is the incredible Andrea Middleton. She's the open source community growth strategist at Automatic and leads the WordPress open source community. In this conversation, we dive into the frameworks, tools, and resources she's developed to support and grow the massive WordPress open source community worldwide. We also talk about how to manage conflict in your community. What are the exact steps you can take when a community member is upset, if they're disruptive, if they're trolling in your community? What are the things you can do to respond to that, to react? Uh, How can your teammates respond to that and react in a way that will hopefully help the community get back on track, help that member get back on track and and continue to build a healthy, safe space. All right. So I, I learned a ton from this episode. I, I, I know you're going to get a ton of really good insights for your own communities. You're going to be able to take back right away. If you enjoy this conversation, go ahead and share it with your friends and colleagues. All right. Let's dive in to today's episode with Andrea Middleton. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. How are you doing? How are you holding up in these in these difficult times, as everyone's been saying? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I'm not going to lie, it's rough. I've got my two kids at home and uh, managing uh, to balance work and attending uh, to their needs and everything whilst, you know, sourcing food and 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 stuff in a pandemic sourcing isn't, food isn't, isn't <laughs> I love my favorite we're like getting back to these times like i'm hunting and gathering and they're eating <laughs> very much um, so feels like it yeah. but yeah um i know but i'm still you know i it's, definitely it's great feel for to... anyone who i feel for anyone who has kids right now it sounds like i'm like my life's already more difficult with all this and adding two kids that sounds like a lot yeah, it's uh, they're they're not wrong when they say parents aren't okay, but we probably yeah. will be in the end. My sure. wife's a middle school math teacher, and enjo- she's uh, you know subtly enjoying all the parents who are like, "Wow, we should pay our teachers a lot more after oh, yeah. having to deal with this ourselves." I used to be a middle school and high school teacher back in the day, and uh, yeah, we we definitely don't pay our educators enough, <laughs> not even by a fraction. <laughs> We can agree on that point. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I appreciate you joining for this quarantine version of the podcast. You, your work is, it's it's really one of the most impressive community programs out there. Um, the WordPress community is kind of like an OG of the community space, been building <laughs> community in, in open source for a long time. Um, but even outside of open source specifically, I think it's an amazing model for other organizations to follow and take some pretty unique opinionated approaches to building the organization and building the community that you don't see in a lot of companies. So I'm really yeah, excited true. to dig in. Um, Me too. And so, um, yeah, I mean, maybe to kick it off, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about the program, kind of like help us understand the scope of it and what does it look like? Every community program out there is different. So what does a WordPress community program look like? Sure. So I focus on the open source uh, software of WordPress. So WordPress is powers about mm, at 
the time of this recording, about 35% of the internet um, runs WordPress. Um, We're happy about it. (laughs) Um, Thanks, everyone, for using WordPress. Keep it up. Um, And what a lot of people don't know about WordPress is that it is built and maintained by contributors, by volunteers from all over the world and has been for uh, oh gosh, 16, 17 years now. Um, and so the fact that we have kind of this massive number of people over a really long period of time who come together to build and maintain this, this software that empowers, um, millions and millions of people and websites, um, means that we have to be really intentional about our community work, right? Um, and so, and the WordPress project has like hmm, about 18 or 19 contributor teams, everything from like the developers that work on the core software to um, our people who write documentation, who volunteer on the support forums, people who test the software, who design the software, um, the people who manage our plugin and theme repositories, just this massive group of people who are, uh, who put their time and attention to making the software that has the, the mission of democratizing publishing for anyone. Um, and one of those contributor teams is the community team. And our community team focuses on organizing local communities through in-person events, um, both monthly meetup groups and monthly meetup events, as well as annual conferences, which we call word camps. And that group um, of community organizers is round about uh, two or 3,000 people strong. We have um, meetup groups. I believe our last count was about 850 um, local meetup groups in over 100 countries in the world. Um, And then last year, I think we had about a little over 140 annual conferences um, all centered on WordPress and all um, organized by and staffed by and um, and everything all done by volunteer through volunteer labor. Mm-hmm. So it's a really big program. It's it's uh, global. Uh, we have yeah. to meet a lot of different stakeholders needs, um, but it's super, super fun. How big is your team that's running that program? Um, we have, so we have a, a kind of a hybrid team of, um, some of our contributors are paid by, um, companies in the WordPress space to focus on this, uh, work. Um, I'm one of them and, um, my company automatic, which is the company behind wordpress.com and, um, WooCommerce and a bunch of other great projects, uh, simple note as well. If any, we have any simple note lovers out there. Um, so automatic pays a team of about, well, we automatic pays a division of about 40 people right now to contribute to the WordPress open source project of that division. We have about eight to 10 people who are focused just on supporting the community team. Got it. So about ultimately it's about eight to 10 people, eight to Um, 10 (laughs) full-time paid people. And then we have a number of kind of 
long time, really dedicated uh, volunteer people who also do administrative work and on a part time basis. And those folks probably count around 40 right now. So, right. Yeah. Cool. So and that's running 800 chapters, hundreds of events, um, Mm -hmm. conferences. That's that's really impressive. Um, And and so what's I, I know it's a little bit unique for WordPress because it is, you know, an open source project. Uh, like, what are the goals of the community team? What are, what are the objectives you're trying to achieve? Well, the community team has um, kind of three lighthouse goals. Every one of our events um, should um, connect WordPress enthusiasts, inspire people to do more with WordPress, and then contribute to the open source project. The, the third uh, benefit or goal there generally comes through achieving the first and second, mm-hmm. um, but can also be accomplished through like recording our events. And we have a, a central place where all WordPress videos can go called WordPress.tv. Um, but yeah, that, that goal of connect, inspire and contribute are, is really our unifying mission in the community team. Right. So ultimately, yeah, you want people to be contributing quality code, quality content to the platform. Yeah. And not just contributing code, um, but also contributing pain points, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're building software that that needs to meet the needs of at least 35% of the internet, if not more, um, one of the really important missions of WordPress contributor programs is to go out and find people who can give us feedback that we don't already know about, right? Because we're building a huge tent here. And so one of uh, the things that we encourage all WordPress community organizers to do is make sure that all of our events are incredibly inclusive and incredibly welcoming so that we can welcome in um, people with backgrounds and experiences that don't already contribute to WordPress. Because Mm -hmm. by including kind of just a, a huge spectrum of user experiences and perspectives, we can make the software and the product work better for a larger number of people. Right. So how, how do you go about that? So it's a massive scale program. You care a lot about inclusivity. You care a lot about the quality of those experiences. What are the key things that you think are needed for a community team to put in place in order to be able to scale community program to that level while still maintaining that level of quality and inclusivity. Yeah. I wish I had like a nice centralized three things for you there. So I've been doing this work since 2011. Um, and when I came on, um, it was just me and we had like 50 events a year and no meetup program at the time. Um, And uh, very early, I realized that one of the things that I didn't understand about the program when I came on was that it wasn't really a support for experienced organizers program. What we actually had, uh, our program, um, we like to say we don't call the qualified, we qualify the called. So people come to us with a fire in the belly because they want to accomplish something in WordPress with WordPress. And um, the core of what we do to support that is we train them on how to be successful in our program and using 
using methods that work within WordPress's uh, general principles and philosophies that center around transparency, openness, inclusivity, uh, kind of a very flat structure as often as we can um, in this Mm -hmm. massive organization. Um, And so what we have kind of come round to over the years is realizing that one, we need to make sure that people understand when they come to us what is available to accomplish in WordPress, you know, like Mm -hmm. because people show up with their own desires and needs. And and when those mesh with the program, that's great. Like we're in it Mm -hmm. to win it right at that point. (laughs) And then we can say, okay, great. So here are the tools that you can use to meet the program's goals in a way that also meets your own goals. Right. Mm -hmm. So you make sure the thing that they want to do aligns with the thing that needs to be done. Right, exactly. Got it. Because when it doesn't, everybody's super sad for right. a long time, right? <laughs> and so one of the one of the things that we set up is um, a, a process of orienting people, being very very clear about what they're signing up for, mm-hmm. orienting them um, in a one to one experience. So we have a we we have an application process. We vet our applications very carefully. We uh, have a one-hour orientation with everyone who um, organizes a WordCamp. It's about a half an hour person-to-person orientation for people who organize meetups. Is that a one-to-one um, orientation or that's like a group that they join? It depends. Uh, we try to to uh, kind of merge people into a cohort whenever it's available, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, things don't always, you know, we also want to get people started as soon as we can, right? Sure. So um, when it's possible, we'll group people into um, group orientations, but um, our our default is generally one-to-one. Yeah. Got it. And then uh, we have open handbooks with amazing content that teaches everyone how to organize their meetups and their WordCamps in um, the the kind of the brand specific uh, leadership philosophy specific approach that we advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a huge cadre of mentors and support people that um, help guide people through a lot of the complexity that shows up when you're trying to organize a community, right? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, there are a lot of opportunities for uh, growth uh, when you take that journey, depending on your background and Mm -hmm. your approach to dealing with um, challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that we do that is super unusual, uh, I have found (laughs) to my dismay, because I keep looking for other programs that are like ours so I can steal all their great ideas. Um, one of the, (laughs) but one of the things that we do that almost nobody else does is we, um, provide a fiscal entity through which, um, all of our organize, almost all of our organizers can, um, can run the money for their conferences. So we have a B Corp that um, basically all of the registration runs through that account, those accounts, and then we pay the bills on behalf of um, all of our organizers. And we have a whole internal kind of financial platform that people can use to submit invoices. Mm. And what, what was really important to us about that is one, it protects our organizers, right? Before we had that infrastructure set up, we had organizers that were running the risk of being sued, um, being audited by the IRS um, and for running, you know, 
$10,000 of conference through their personal or business accounts. Um, so they're, they're charging so, for these events and they're earning income on it. They're not. No, it's it's all um, not for profit. Not uh, And then all the surplus should go back into the community. OK, so um, they charge for it, but they don't make money on it. It's correct. It's, yeah. Okay, our tickets, it. our tickets do cost a little bit of money. We have a cap for ticket price of no okay. more than twenty five dollars per person per day right now um, Got it. to keep it really, really affordable. But also because uh Unless you charge a little bit, you have a really high no-show rate, and it's hard to plan. Right. Um, but yeah, so what we found, though, when when we had organizers running the money through their own accounts, one, the number of organizers that we had available was uh, was really restricted by people who had the financial wherewithal to handle that much money. Um, coming in through their personal accounts or do an initial outlay and then recover the funds later and stuff like that, right? right. So by by bringing that all kind of into a central organization, we may, I mean, you can be, you can have absolutely no income and still manage a $100,000 event for us right. um, with no outlay. Um, and then, of course, the central organization, the B Corp, also provides legal and... Um, and in you know insurance protection for all of our organizers so organizers are never on the hook if something bad happens at their event that's great that's pretty yeah. comprehensive that's definitely what everyone should do <laughs> i'm really proud of it and it's super hard um, yeah so, but it it makes our platform it makes the barrier to entry the barrier to leadership in the wordpress community program is incredibly low right because we do everything we can to take out any kind of level of privilege that you need to mm. come that you need to carry with you mm. so that you can grow in our program. I love that. I, I see it as across these kinds of programs, you want the barrier to entry to be high for value alignment and goals. So you make sure that people are aligned on values and, and they're there for the right reasons, but mm -hmm. you want the barrier to entry to be really low for execution so that if there's, yeah. you know, you want to take all the questions away. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, those comprehensive playbooks I think are really useful because it, it takes all the questions out of it. They don't have to figure anything out or make a lot of decisions. Like a lot of that is, is kind of standardized yeah. and, and provided for them. And it's tricky because like we're an open source community mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in open source communities, but we, uh, one of our characteristics is that, um, everyone in open source is pretty sure they're smarter than everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, and you show up with strong opinions um, mm -hmm. that are not always loosely held, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a really independent, iconoclastic, and anti-authoritarian user base. Um, and so like helping, you know, helping people who have that deep set of kind of characteristics and values that mesh with the rest of the organization. That's not a problem, but like saying, okay, I get it. You need autonomy. You can have all the autonomy you want inside of these areas. These guide rails. Um, and then here are places where you don't get to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, and finding leaders who are willing to straddle both of those spaces is really totally exciting. Yeah. And so we kind of talk about like guide rails being, mm -hmm. you know, you have authority within these boundaries. Right. And so like a, a, 
one of the most common challenges that I hear from companies is we want to build a community, but they're kind of afraid to give up control. Yeah. Uh, they're afraid of what people will do with their brand or how they'll mm-hmm. represent them or if they'll do something that doesn't align with them. And that's yeah. where those guide rails become really important because it's Absolutely. like you have control, but yeah. if you cross these kinds of guide rails, then it's not quite a fit for us. And I'm curious, like, how do you vet for that alignment <laughs> up front? And then it's real hard, David. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then have there been experiences where someone hasn't uh been a fit after they've been in the program or they've crossed those lines and and how did you handle that? Yeah. Yes to all of that. Um, it's really difficult to get this right and we screw it up sometimes. Um, and, and, and we intentionally take an kind of an education or training approach to these relationships because, especially when you're talking about a global program, like you cannot expect people to show up with a a monolithic approach to um, something as complex as leadership and inclusivity when they are coming from cultural contexts that are um, seemingly unending. Um, One of the things we do is we introduce people to basically WordPress culture, open source culture, and, and try to make it really clear, like, however you were brought up, however you manage things in your company, however, however, whatever kind of kind of leadership uh, schema that you follow elsewhere, this is how we do things in this space. And if, if that jives with you, then that's great. If that doesn't, and then then you'll probably be happier somewhere else. But the thing that is especially important for our people is to under is to be really clear about the reasons behind all of our practices. Right? Um, we had the I had this realization at some point, probably about six or seven years ago, where we kept getting all of these recommendations from our incredibly independent, autonomy-loving people saying, why can't we do this? And I was like, there's great reasons. Here are the reasons. And I kept having to turn down all these recommendations. And I had this light bulb went off. Open source works because the code is literally open. Anyone can go in and muck around in the program. And what that does is it gets feature enhancement requests or or bug reports. The quality of those contributions are higher because everyone can get in and see how it works, right? What we hadn't done at that point was open source our community philosophy and our leadership philosophy and the reasons that things went wrong or the Mm. ways that things went wrong and how we were trying to fix them with our new practices, right? And when we shifted that and approached this uh, approach, kind of working with our growing leaders more from a, listen, here's how the whole program works. And I mean, people have to be willing to come with you and like spend the time, right? But that's a level, but then you gauge their engagement there too, like, right? So like if they're willing to like dive in, see the whole landscape and see how they fit in and then see like, and these are the problems we had before and this is why things are like this, then it just elevates the conversation and it elevates, like mm-hmm. they are then set up to make successful contributions. So to clarify, um, it sounds like what you're talking about is kind of like radical transparency. It's it's yeah, kind of opening absolutely. all the information, mm-hmm. all the experiences, the challenges, everything for the mm-hmm. community to see. Um, hundred yeah. percent on board with that. 
Um, would it be considered open source in that people are actually contributing to what those policies are yes, absolutely. as well? They are. Yeah. We can don't they do that any... freely? They can they can mm -hmm. actually decide what your community policies are? Ah, we're open source. We're not open commit. Um, we are, we have a limited number of people. Who what does that who mean for those of us who aren't <laughs> in open source? <laughs> so, um, open commit means that anyone can come and change the software for everybody else. Got it. Um, and that does not describe WordPress or WordPress community programs. Or most open source programs. Right. Yeah. It's unusual. There are some radical projects out there that are open commit. Sounds um, like a terrible we... idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it depends on no use case and, and your contributor base, right? Um, so we are open source. All of our stuff is radically transparent. We make decisions on um, in a public space um, yeah. in a place that is asynchronous, that supports asynchronous discussion. So you don't have to show up at a certain time. Yeah. Um, you do have to throw, show up through WordPress um, to, to take part, but anyone can share their perspectives and advocate for their perspective, their, their, mm -hmm. what they want to see happen. Mm -hmm. um, we are closed commit, meaning that only certain, there are some people who are, um, who have what I would call commit level access to policy. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes through a combination of um, values and philosophy, alignment, experience. Yeah, um, they've been in a community then, a long time. And then interest, you know, I mean, there are there are people I would love to lure into our commit group <laughs> who are choosing to kind of spend their time sure. and uh, bring their skills elsewhere. But yeah, so that's how we work. Got that. it. What's up, everyone? Just want to take a quick second to let you know about the launch of CMX Academy, our brand new training platform built to help you develop the knowledge and skills you need to take your community strategy to the next level. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you've enjoyed all these interviews, you're going to love the courses because they go much deeper into the topics we discuss here. We talk about community engagement, scaling your community programs, and how to identify objectives and metrics for how community impacts your business. All of our courses are on demand, so you can take them anytime at your own pace. And all of the lessons come with worksheets and activities, so you can apply the lessons to your actual community. And after completing each course, you'll receive a certification to add to your resume and your LinkedIn profile to show that you've completed the program. We're offering an exclusive discount on all of our courses just for podcast listeners. Go to cmxhub.com academy and use the discount code podcast to get 20% off all the courses. Again, cmxhub.com slash academy, enter the code podcast. I, I guess I'm curious as well. So with a group like that, do you see a lot of kind of inter-member conflict in your community? Um, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We, how, you know. <laughs> how do you navigate that? Open source is a place, like I said, like pretty much everyone shows up with some fundamental certainty that their perspective is more right than other people's, right? Um, we have a lot of very certain people, which is great. Like, um, it's it's hard to build great software with wishy-washy opinions, right? Um, but that broad tent and that kind of inclusivity focus when it comes to large diverging 
groups of needs and experience um, results in conflict. And one of the ways that we approach this um, is to consistently remind ourselves that conflict isn't a bug. It's a feature. Um, mm -hmm. That's a very open sourcey way of saying <laughs> that conflict makes us better. It's not conflict in and of itself isn't bad. Um, we, we can't just make, we can't make great software that meets the needs of hundreds of millions of people if we are only coming at it from one perspective. Mm -hmm. And as long as, and anytime you have two perspectives, you end up with conflict. Um, and then, you know, and, and then the thing that kind of gets people out of some of the fear and dread that they may experience with um, when they think about lots of people arguing over each other or coming into conflict on a regular basis. One way to kind of anchor in that scary idea is remembering that conflict isn't created equal, right? Mm -hmm. There are lots of different ways to um, experience conflict and, and, and the severity level of the conflict right. is really, really important. Two people so. disagreeing on an idea is different than someone name calling or being right. rude yeah. or racist or any yeah. of those well, issues. And there's like quality, there's tone and then there's also, uh, severity, right? Okay. Um, and, and what we try to keep, um, what we try to maintain in WordPress is to keep the level of severity, of the conflicts that we kind of maintain mm -hmm. in and around the like friendly differences, misunderstandings that can get cleared up through more communication. Um, and then sometimes we, and, and then in many cases we do tolerate persistent differences of opinion um, that, and, and we just know that we have to agree to disagree in some spaces. And that's when those commit level leaders, the people who can make final decisions on behalf of the entire project yep. or organization have to come in and choose a lane. Right. So, um, so you're, 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 uh, you know, doing this at pretty big scale. Can you speak to like, what is the, the system that you use for, for managing conflict to be able to do this for so many, many members? The uh, five-part formula that I use is, um, first, compose yourself. Second, analyze the message. So figuring out what, what is actually happening here, who is saying this thing. And then a really important portion of step two is to empathize with the other person. Something that is another a really powerful anchoring um, piece of information for a lot of people is remembering that like conflict and disagreement is a relationship. It shows a relationship. You don't reach out to criticize or uh, give feedback to somebody because you don't care. Right. So just being grateful for the level of, for, for the engagement that you have, for the feedback that you're getting, even if it's not coming to you in the way that you want it, or even if you deeply disagree with it, um, it still shows that like somebody cares enough to bring an opposing opinion to you um, and treating that like a gift and remembering that they're people. Right. Um, and so um, the, you know, the compose so start back to step one, composing yourself, figuring out what am I feeling? What are my 
my um, emotional, what are the physical cues that Mm. tell me what emotions I've got and to kind of bring myself back together, right? To get out of that kind of adrenaline-fueled lizard brain or that survival brain and into and wake up your, your, your thinking brain again so that you can make, um, smart choices Mm -hmm. and not fall into that XKCD, something's wrong with the internet kind of reactive mode, right? Reflect internally Um, first. Obviously never, never send an angry email. You can type it up, save it as a draft and then come back to it later. Absolutely. And one of the ways that I encourage people to kind of get out of that emotional state Um, or at least to be thinking through it, is that analyzing how you're feeling, analyzing what the other person's saying, and empathize with them, figure out um, how you can get curious about what they're saying, right? And then the third step is to contextualize the conflict. One thing that I think a lot of young community managers uh, get into trouble with is the assumption that any criticism is something that they have to address. Um, And to say it in another way, that any criticism is something that they have to address, right? So (laughs) there are two parts to that, right? One is, are you the right person to address this? Mm. Very possibly not, right? And then the second part is, does this need anyone's attention, Mm. right? Is this a space that you are welcome to engage in? Or is this just somebody expressing themselves and it doesn't need to, you know, no intervention is necessary, right? Um, And part of that is understanding your position in the organization very clearly and what your mandate is, but then also understanding your community. You know, is this person incredibly influential in your community? Is this a big boulder that's going to start an avalanche? Or is this a little pebble, like popping down, you know, tick, 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 just How do you going know? down the mountains. How do you know? I've definitely thought that things were pebbles before and then they turned into an avalanche. Yeah. Um, the more you know about your community, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, it is always important to have the pulse of your group to see who is in subgroups with other people, who is congregating, what kind of information they're sharing. Um, and kind of, uh, I have pretty extensive, possibly creepy little mental maps of mm. all the subgroups in, uh, in my spheres. So I know like who's connected to other people, mm-hmm. um, and you know, what webs will start quivering if something's happening in this mm. corner, but David, sometimes you screw it up. Like <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you don't know. <laughs> Often. And so, you know, I, in general, I try to err on the side of safety. And so expressing empathy mm-hmm. or expressing, um, an, um, you know, your willingness to embrace differences, mm-hmm. but your concern about other people's pain mm-hmm. or upset um, is is a pretty safe space to stay in, even if you think they're wrong. Totally. Well, one thing I found that's kind of worked is there. there's a temptation to also, not, you know, not respond until you get the perfect response written up. And all the while, this avalanche is growing in size and energy. And so sometimes yeah. I find that just jumping in at that point and just saying something like, Hey, really appreciate you sharing this feedback. It's clear this is a really important uh, concern for the community. 
I want to make sure that I get back to you with a really clear answer. And so I'm mm-hmm. working on that and I will be responding yeah. here shortly. Then it just kind yeah. of at least they hear from you and they have that touch mm-hmm. point and it kind of like stems uh, the the tide a little bit. It, it stops mm-hmm. the, the the floodgates from opening up and then yeah, that, that buys you a little bit of time to to be more thoughtful in your response. Totally, totally agree. Like the, what I call those the bookmarking um, mm. response, right? They're like, I'm coming back. I see you. Exactly. I care about this. I'm yeah. working on a thing. BRB, right? BRB. <laughs> I'm going to go talk um, to 17 people on my team and <laughs> send them the, the draft of this day, response. I'm going to reschedule about yeah, five meetings Cancel now. everything. Community's <laughs> upset. Task force engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, That can be really effective. Um, It is certainly better than jumping in without knowing what you want to do and what's happening in the background, right? Um, Another thing that you can. Are those the next steps? uh, Kind of, yeah. The fourth step after contextualize is um, strategize. Um, another mistake that I see in kind of young and mid-career community professionals is that we will wade into the fray, not knowing what we want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that is um, frustrating for everyone because um, you're not going to achieve your goal if you don't know what your goal is. And um, people will find themselves in a conversation um, spending their valuable time in a conversation that may go nowhere. So um, figuring out, once you have the context, figuring out, okay, is it worth my waiting in here? If so, great. If so, am I the right person? If so, excellent. If now, why am I doing this? Like, what is my goal? Um, And where do we want to land? And then after that, after all that, <laughs> then you mobilize. At that point, you go in and you say, I'm ready. Let's talk this through. I have information. Please give me information and let's figure out what's going on here. And if you, as a, as a codicil to the bookmarking point, though, if you need to put a pin in something, another thing that you can do connected to that bookmark is to ask some clarifying questions. And that Mm. can sometimes help you gain the context if this person is coming out of nowhere, if uh, you're if they're part of a group that you're not as familiar with um, and you need to, like, catch up on their perspectives or their experiences. So, like, I'm definitely working on this. I'm coming back. If you have time and please just ask people politely for more information. They are giving you a gift with this criticism and you're asking them for more when you're asking them for more context, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. use your grace, right? Use your courtesy and then say, I would love to get more information. If you have time, here are some things that I could really use to give you the, give you the, you know, the context or the data that you're asking for. Awesome. So let, let's review those five. So they're memorable. So yes, absolutely. So step one, compose yourself. Step two, analyze slash empathize. Step three, contextualize. Step four, strategize. And finally, the last step is to mobilize. And 
repeat as necessary, because once you mobilize, you will have another sparkly opportunity to compose yourself and then to get curious about the other person again. Love so. that. That's mm-hmm. super helpful. I'm, I'm probably going to start using that today. Is, <laughs> Actually, uh, already, <laughs> I already have in mind a, an opportunity Strongly to put this into action. Uh, great. Um, awesome. Um, and so I guess switching gears a little bit, um, what, what are the big challenges that you're thinking through right now for the WordPress community? What, what's your big focus? Well, like most other communities, uh, especially those of us who uh, have been using in-person events as our primary connective opportunities and kind of anchoring points, we are uh, trying to figure out how to get as much of that special sauce um, of getting people in person when when now it's not safe to get people in person anymore, right? So we're trying to recreate that connect, inspire, contribute um, experience, but specifically that connection experience for people who can only gather in an online space right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you and every other community professional knows, that is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um I, I frequently call our events program the uh, the immunity system of WordPress um, because <laughs> the like we we have thousands of contributors working on difficult problems from very very divergent experiences and it's real easy to fight all the time right um, but WordPress is fairly well known in open source for having a relatively elevated level of discourse and and conversation um, and collaboration and the way I, I not for nothing but I, I attribute a lot of that to our amazing events program because you get people together in person you create these behavioral norms and those follow you onto the internet again right That's you so remember true. that people are people. And you remember that you were wrong once too, or that you were new once too. And I've seen so many kind of WordPress contributor stories turn Mm. with the line. And then I went to a WordCamp. And so the stuff that I'm really worried about right now is like, how do we help people have that kind of big leap of influence and and con- contribution and connection with all of our organization without bringing them into the same physical space as everybody mm. else. So. so what's the solution? What are you doing? Or what are you trying? Uh, we- Obviously, you don't have a solution yet. <laughs> what, are, what are the things that you're experimenting with? What are you trying out? Yeah, well, I mean, luckily, we have all of the smartest people in the world um, contributing to WordPress. And so we've got a lot of like... All of them? Many, you found all uh, the smartest people in the world? <laughs> well, let's Can just we say have some? all of the... All, no, you can't. They're all mine. It's uh, <laughs> not fair. <laughs> Well, you can come join us too, David. I would love to have you on <laughs> ah, our I see now. <laughs> Always be recruiting. That's uh-huh. one of our keys. I'm on to your games. I would seriously actually like to have you in our space. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we've got a lot of smart people approaching this, kind of joining other online events and bringing back um, their learnings and their thoughts. Um we're approaching um, online events with a kind of inclusivity and uh, 
kind kindness first approach, mm-hmm. making sure that our our local organizers are trained um, and equipped to manage live chat really well, kind mm-hmm. of moderate that comment comment stream really effectively because mm. so like, like we've new training and skill sets for these organizers yeah. to yeah. get used to the virtual experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what's then, the format of mm-hmm. the events that you're doing? Are they discussion groups? Are they like speakers? Um, the events that we're doing are pretty close to the way they were before. So, you know, um, one presenter and some MCs and, uh, you know, more multiple presenters for a conference and MCs and some volunteers helping with, um, with managing questions and managing the chat. Um, for our, for our information gathering, um, work, uh, we use WordPress blogs, uh, to, uh, manage WordPress. And so we have some great, um, discussion posts over on make.wordpress.org slash community, um, where we're kind of gathering experiences and perspectives and feedback on different tools, um, different approaches, Um, And currently we're in the like, everybody try stuff and come back with your learnings uh, phase. And um, then hopefully we'll, and we have the start of a new handbook on um, how to manage online events. And then Mm -hmm. that will just keep getting filled out. And we have, uh, you know, one of our other great strengths. Is is that handbook um, open source as well? Oh yeah. All so of anyone, our stuff is completely available. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We'll include that um, in the show notes so others yeah. can check it out too. Yeah, for sure. And then we have a lot of people who just love to experiment, right? Uh, ship then iterate is one of our main tenets. So we'll try something, we'll tell people what worked and what didn't, um, and then we'll try a new thing. And then, you know, the great strength of doing this in kind of as part of a large organization is that one person can try something in Santa Clarita, California, and then um, people organizing an event in Spain or, uh, you know, Bangkok uh, mm. can learn from that experience. And is it pretty flexible then for all, all the organizers to experiment with different formats right now? Like, are the guide rails pretty open? They're very loose right now. Yeah, yeah. we're really in an information gathering phase. So people are really trying out new things, again, within at least the philosophical and values base, you know, mm-hmm. the foundation of that, you know, connect, inspire, contribute, strongly inclusive, strongly welcoming, making a safe space for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um uh, who isn't abusive. Um, and then, yeah, we'll probably settle into some established norms, I would say come around June or July. Mm -hmm. And then, um, we'll see what the future holds. Mm -hmm. It'll be particularly interesting to see when things open up again and when large gatherings are safe for everyone, Mm -hmm. what happens then? Mm -hmm. I'm super curious about kind of the appetite that people are going to have for in-person experiences Mm -hmm. um, going, you know, post this incredible crisis. Yeah. Um, I I think it'll go, I think the smaller events will come back pretty quickly once people Mm -hmm. feel like there's the right protections in place and they feel safe, which I think will happen more quickly um, for smaller events. I think the larger events, that's going to take some time. Uh, yeah, for that I to agree. come back in the same way that it was before. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think people are going to be craving getting together in person. And as long as they feel like yeah. the right precautions are being taken and, and they feel safe, I think that should pick up yeah. pretty quickly again. 
We have a we have one um, established format um, from a couple years back of a watch party mm-hmm. that I think we might see kind of as an interim because we have uh, a few larger flagship events that, of course, not everyone can afford to travel to. Mm-hmm. Um, and those flagship events are always live streamed. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we've done is support venue rental costs for anyone in like St. Louis who wants to hold a watch party for uh, WordCamp Europe. Um, and that could be kind of a good kind of medium ground, still hold our flagships mm. that tend to be two or 3000 people in attendance, still hold those online and, and then just have lots of local watch parties. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Could be yeah. Really we've fun. actually done those in the past as well for, you know, we'll have videos from our conference from CMX summit and local chapters will, you know, show one of the talks and then have a discussion yeah. around it afterward. Mm-hmm. It's a really great way to repurpose and reuse content as well and make sure it's, yeah, it's reaching absolutely. more people. Any okay. other, uh, that, that's a great example. Are there any other um, tactics, uh, programs, formats that you've seen work really well for engaging people? We are going to be testing in the next month or so a a new series of organizer or leadership training um, events slash uh, interviews. Um, We've had really good success in the past about with uh, organizer roundtables. So just um, setting a few topics over a period of a month and just having uh, experienced organizers who have the time join a group discussion that is live streamed. Mm -hmm. um, And those become really great persistent assets that can really showcase a large amount of diversity in your organizing pool, which I love. I'm looking forward to a new series that's going to start up soon that I am currently calling like dispatches where, uh, one organizer just reaches out to another organizer and just gets their gut, you know, what are you working on? What's got your interest? Maybe like 20 minutes. Um, and again, like showing, giving people the opportunity to see that like their experience is shared by other people in the community. Um, and then we're really doubling down on our speaker training as well in our program. So, uh, we had been doing, we had this large long campaign to train, um, people from, groups traditionally marginalized in tech to become conference speakers. Um, And we had been trying to train organizers to give this great workshop that we call our diversity speaker training workshop. And because things are harder for meetup organizers now, we're just making that the person who is training the trainers is now just providing the training to anyone who wants to attend. Um, And we had like 18 people trained last week um, from all over the world and like six different countries um, joined this three-part series on becoming a, a conference speaker. And, mm. and that kind of thing I'm particularly excited about because we've been struggling for years um, mm. to figure out how to get voices on stage that don't have the financial wherewithal to necessarily even spend a whole day at a conference because of uh, caregiving needs or travel needs or whatever uh, health health issues. And so I think that a shift to online content could be really empowering for um, people who have um, 
have different barriers to participating in a live in-person conference. Um, so I really am looking forward to the possibility of getting more diverse voices into our official events um, mm. and seeing what comes of that. Why, why do you think that worked so well? Why was that something that engaged the community so well? The training last week? Mm-hmm. Um, I have some theories. I don't know if they're right. Um, one, uh, some people probably are, uh, have a little more time, uh, on their hands than they had before. Um, I think format wise in this particular, the way we ran this training, the woman who's doing these trainings, by the way, is named Jill Binder. And she, um, worked with a group of contributors, myself included quite a few years ago to develop a speaker training, just oriented directly toward people from groups traditionally marginalized in technology. Um, so focused specifically on diverse voices getting on stage. It's a great training. I recommend it. It's also on all of our stuff. Um, and, uh, but when we were talking about putting it together, uh, we landed on having, instead of like a three hour workshop, having three one hour uh, trainings. Mm -hmm. um, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I think keeping it kind of bite-sized like that mm -hmm. made it a lot more accessible for people who um, have to squeeze things in mm -hmm. uh, between work or mm -hmm. between childcare or between work and childcare um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and stuff like that. So keeping content a little more bite-sized right now, also because I think the cognitive load for everyone and the planet, I think, currently yeah. is super duper high. So providing small bits of information mm -hmm. that are a little more easily processed, I mm. think, um, than big tomes, you know, or large, you know, people don't have a lot of energy to spend right now. I mean, so I think I, that's you, true in general <laughs> in the internet age as well, but especially right now. Um, yeah, I, I think like for things like playbooks as well, like some companies send a 40 page playbook playbook on how to run their yeah. events, um, that like, who's going to sit there and just read through that and remember everything. It's just, you know, my, my wife's a middle, like I said, my a, wife's with a 40 page playbook, David, I will tell you the <laughs> precious few. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, another lesson I learned from my wife, uh, as a middle school teacher is just like breaking things down into very bite-sized things, make it a lot more memorable, easy for them to retain, easy for them to consume on their own schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's a, actually a really useful tidbit of advice is when you want your community members to learn something, it's tempting to just put it all together in one place. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier for you, but that's not going to make it easy for them to learn it. Especially when, and, and, and that's real tempting, right? When it's a complex notion exactly. or when there's a lot of information to convey, mm -hmm. it's hard to, you know, like this is why people get entire degrees in education is Weird. that boiling down like <laughs> complex concepts into bite-sized pieces is a, it's a job. Full um, circle to, we need to pay our teachers better. So much That's where more, we started everybody. talking today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that was in the pre-show, but you know, <laughs> that's all right. Um, awesome. As often as we need to. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. You ready? Okay. Yes. All right. One, how do you define community? Uh, people coming together with a common purpose. Boom. Love it. All right. Two, what's your favorite book or, or resource that you come back to uh, that's on community related to community? Hands down, every single time, Charles Vogel's 
The Art of Community, Seven Principles of Belonging is the book that transformed my understanding of this job. And I reread it twice a year. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Good book. I've read it once. <laughs> I love it. Read it again. You'll get more I'll out of it. i to read more. <laughs> um, who is somebody that you really look up to in the community space and learn a lot from? You, you all, CMX does really, really good work here. Oh, um, I'm, I'm really impressed with kind of the way you all balance um, all of the different ways that people do community I, I think also Anil Dash, um, mm. I don't think he would describe himself as a community professional, but I think the way he uh, shows up in these spaces is really exemplary. He's our keynote for our event. I our noticed that. Jelly. will have passed by the time we hear this episode, I believe. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm very excited to sit down and chat with him. If you have questions yeah. you want me to ask him, you got to let me know after the, mm, after the podcast. Um, if you had to sum up your entire life's lessons on building community and you can only leave all the future community builders in the, le- in the rest of the world with one key piece of advice that's roughly tweet sized, what would that advice be? I would say... Bring compassion, grace, and vulnerability to authentically engaging with people to help them reach their goals while supporting your goals. Mm. What? Why is that your advice? Why is that so important? A, a stumbling block that a lot of people run into when they start doing community work is seeing community as something that they should that they should be able to farm or profiteer off of. Um, And that is uh, both unethical and inefficient. Um, And so, and what I find a lot of people do, especially when dealing with the public, is they try to get put on their armor and deal with everyone from uh, from the arm's length because they're afraid of being hurt. Um, and that is also inefficient. I won't speak to the ethics of it. Um, so the, the most effective way I know to make connections with people and, and have a program that lasts is to be real with everybody about what you're trying to accomplish. And then the people who stay with you will get you where you want to go. If you try to trick people or try to, um, or if you're not clear about what you're trying to accomplish, you will always run in circles and people will leave because they'll get frustrated and you will leave too because you won't be effective. So knowing what you're trying to accomplish, making that really clear to the people that you're trying to engage and then make sure that they get something out of it too. Otherwise, why are they there? Love that. Well said. I'd be snapping, but it doesn't sound good on the podcast. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, and and the last, lastly, just where can people find you? And is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, well, I am semi-frequently, actually semi-infrequently on Twitter at A-N-D Middleton and Middleton. Um, I am in all of the WordPress spaces all the time. You can find me in our make uh, blogs and also in WordPress.org Slack, which you can get to through chat.wordpress.org. 
And then I, my blog is andreamiddleton.blog, and I do more frequent postings there lately on community stuff. And I, I guess the, the message to people who are interested in community and are interested in doing this as a career, um, I think it's a super engaging, exciting space to work um, as long as you're willing to show up with your whole heart and, um, and be real straight with everybody. Um, this is not a comfortable place for cowards. Um, so bring your courage, bring your vulnerability and uh, dig in. It's really fun. It's not usually very relaxing, but sometimes <laughs> it's really exciting and fun. Channel that Brene Brown. Yeah, all the way. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Just want to express some gratitude for you and your work that you're doing. I mean, it, it's it's just so clear how much you care about your community and and how you lead your community with authenticity and vulnerability and courage in a community that's not very easy to run. It's it's to your point, uh, a community with a lot of strong opinions and a lot of strong personalities, and you do it with grace. Um, and I think you're you're getting some of the recognition you you very much deserve. I know uh, you got that CIA as well, the Community Industry Award, um, and I think it just it just speaks to the work you're doing and the example that you're setting for other community professionals out there. So um, thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for sharing your wisdom here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, just really grateful. Thank you. It's uh, really exciting to get to talk to people who love this as much as I do, because this is really fun stuff. Well, we could go for many more hours, but I don't know. So many we just hours. talked about bite-sized content, and we're at the <laughs> hour to do mark. This again sometime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> many more to many more conversations to be had. All right. Well, thanks, Andrea, and thanks everybody for joining. We'll see you next time.